On this episode, we talk about modern media, video journalism, and the future of news. Everybody, welcome to episode eight of the Millennial Grind podcast. I'm Chris Naff, and I'm Nicholas Scalise. And this week we have a good friend of ours, Dylan Bauscher, from our alma mater, FAU. Dylan, how we doing? Good. Great. Oh, we're pumped to have you, man. So, Dylan, you're a journalist at the Sun Sentinel, and we really want to hear your story of how you got to where you are today, what you work on on a daily basis. Um, and we have some specific questions about some of the things you've accomplished so far. Um, so basically, what I wanted to start with is, you know, you're a young guy in journalism. Why journalism? What led you to this field? Um, it, honestly, man, it was a complete accident. Um, okay. I wasn't, I wasn't led to this field at all. I knew from a very young age. I, was, I did the morning announcements in fifth grade. And I just wanted to be around that camera from a really young age. And then, you know, middle school did TV production, high school magnet, magnet program for TV production, made sure I got into McFadder um, for the program. And then college, um, I, I don't know why, I just decided to walk into the student newspaper to practice my writing um, because I'm like, okay. you know, this is in line with trying to become a screenwriter at first. And then, you know, six months later in that newsroom, I decided I wanted to run the college newsroom, be an editor-in-chief of a college newspaper, and I was in love with journalism. And ever since then, I've just kind of let things, you know, I, I, I've watched where I've just let things kind of take me uh, where they're going to take me and not tried to force it too much. Um, right. So I ended up running the college paper, and then after I ran the paper, I, I went straight for an internship, got one at the Sentinel, and... Um, have just, you know, decided I need to work as hard as possible to hold on to the opportunity I've got. Um, especially because when you think about it, a Tribune company, the place I work at, it has, in the last five years has like declared bankruptcy, they've had layoffs. And the fact that I work there is um, kind of, you know, not what you would expect. And, you know, for there to be job opportunities at a company like that. Um, but there are, and that's that kind of is cool, and that's what I'm most grateful about in in my day to day, and that's that kind of is what motivates me to keep doing exactly what I'm so, doing. So yeah, so for for some of our listeners and viewers who aren't familiar with South Florida, they might not have heard of the Sun Sentinel. Can you tell us a little bit about like how well it's known down here? Obviously, it's probably you know the biggest paper down here in South Florida, correct? So yeah, it can is. you just tell us yeah. a little bit about like what they're known for and a little bit of the backstory of the Sun Sentinel? Yeah, um, so the Sun Sentinel is a daily newspaper. We're based out of Fort Lauderdale. Um, Pulitzer Prize winning paper, Pulitzer Prize winning journalists just filling that newsroom. Um, and it's, it's inspiring to be around them. And, um, you know, we cover everything in, between Broward and Palm Beach County. And, I th you know, our circulation is around 400,000, I think, um, in print. Don't quote me on that, but uh, it's, it's, it's the biggest paper down here. And, and, you know, the Sun Sentinel is just instantly known when people. It's right up there with the Miami Herald, the other big paper down here. Um, and those are, I, guess, I, I don't know if, you, if it's appropriate to call them the legacy media companies for South Florida, but they're, they're household names is a better, might be the better term for it. They're household names down here. And it's, I do video for the newspaper. I'm not, I, I, I was a writer and I came up in, in journalism through my writing. Um, but I, I also did video at the same time, um, which is just totally in line with what I've wanted to do from a very young age, which was just write and direct. Um, and now I'm kind of doing both because I do write the voiceovers that I, you know, um, script every day. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not out on the street reporting all the time, but um it's it's all just been a pretty steady line uh for me if you were to look back at my history and just see that i've always just wanted to do writing and video and you know decided i was going to do it and ask myself what i need to do to do it for a living and then you know follow through on doing that thing whatever that was 
Um, so yeah, it's oh. and and man, how did I get there from you asking me what the Sun Sentinel is? Um, <laughs> this is good. I don't no know worries. If I answered the question, <laughs> so you know, hearing that you know, film and film writing has been your passion since a young age. It seems to me like there was a point where you said, actually, this journalism thing isn't so bad. Was that a point while you were at the university press at FAU? Or was that just yeah. a random moment as a student? You know, what kind of led to this? Yeah, I think I could, I think I could live here. I, you know, it was, it was gradual. I, I'd be lying if I said it was just like a one moment that just changed everything for me. It was a very gradual mm -hmm. um, process of me just deciding to kind of not say goodbye or put down, but to adapt my childhood dream from what it was to what it could be um, in the present of, you know, thinking it had to be this very narrow um, idea and vision of myself of just writing and directing movies to being like, well, wait a minute, I'm, I'm it's telling stories. And at the heart of that is telling stories. And I can do that a million different ways. Um, you know, that's it's just one of my favorite expressions about journalism is that there's a thousand ways to skin a cat when you're talking about how to write a story, how to approach the reporting, what your angle could be. Um, and I, I think that, that it was gradual. There, there wasn't a moment, but through my time at the UP and when, when it was over, and I did have the freedom to ask myself, well, wait a minute, do I want to pursue this further? I, I could have applied at other film studios or other play or broadcast media companies for some reason. I stuck with print and I went to the Sun Sentinel and it worked out and um, I, I'm having fun. So good. And so, what's a what's a typical day like at at a newspaper company that basically really it was established in print, but yet, like you said, you do video journalism. So, what's a typical day like for you, and how big of an impact has video made on the Sun Sentinel? I mean, um, that's a great question. You know, we we launched a Hulu channel. Uh, I think four. I guess a month or two after I became full-time and um, I guess four months after I started there part-time. And I think that's, that's one thing you could point to that's, that kind of says, Hey, video matters at this print organization. Right. Um, these pe the leaders here, the ones who run the, the, the organization recognize that this is um, the future of, of their business. And so they're changing their business model to kind of fit that um, because there is revenue at play there and it's still a media company that has to make a profit. And, um, you know, I think a, one of the ways that they have done that in the middle of a, of a recession with unprecedented job loss and layoffs, and, and my company, one of the hardest hit among the big five or six media companies um, or printer or, you know, legacy well, print organizations, um, because the Sun Sentinel is owned by Tribune Company, which also owns the LA right. Times, the Chicago Tribune and other, you know, uh, print organizations and, and uh, newspapers throughout the country and in different cities. We launched the Hulu channel. We're doing, I think, six or seven, where I think we're up to seven or eight week, uh, series is now for that show, for that. We have sports with Chris Perkins, um, X's and Omar with, with Omar Kelly and uh, CBS 12's Matt Lincoln. Oh, yeah. I follow um, Omar Kelly on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that guy's got, I mean, the show is run basically on his Twitter feed. He has, he's the reason we have so many people watching. He has people internationally who come into town and if they recognize him at Dolphins practice, they stop and they say, Hey dude, yeah. um, you're really good at what you do. And he comes back with those stories and I'm just like, unbelievable. This guy, it, it's a YouTube stream. It's live. It's once a week. And, um, it's really simple and, and people truly appreciate it. Right. And it's, it's nice to, have that about your work to, to have that public exposure not everybody's appreciated in their work and omar kelly is an example of a guy whose followers and fans let him know that they value what he's and doing don't you think and, and journalism in general kind of has more of that than, than other industries yeah i would i would agree just from an observer's point of view and it seems like the boundary to be recognized is a lot lower now because of technology whether it's twitter whether it's youtube other types of channels where if you have talent, people will find you, you know? And Omar, right. And Omar does print. He's, he's, he's still on print deadlines. That's one of the most interesting things about a print organization that's doing video like this. We do video on rig, rigorous deadlines, just like a daily newspaper does video, would do video. Um, it's not the way a TV station would do video. And um, it's, it's uh, someone, I think I've heard this, the Netflix of newspapers, 
I don't know that it's that either. It's different. It's, it's different from that too. And, you know, when you ask, well, how does that impact the organization? It's, it's, I think it's pretty obvious when you go from what we were doing in December after we have the channel launched, we're, we're getting um, national attention with, with like this, with the editorial on Rubio and it gets brought up in the debate. And then, and then uh, Rosemary O'Hara goes and does Bill O'Reilly, the O'Reilly factor the next night. Um, so that's, that's national media exposure for a local uh, newspaper, right. even though we are nationally owned, that I think matters and it points to um, just the overall evolution and adaptation and just transition to video for a print organization and how that is making the opportunity that I have to work there possible. Um, yeah. And because otherwise, you know, a couple of years ago, if I had been getting out of college around the time I was getting out of high school, I wouldn't, I might not be able to get this job because this job wouldn't be there yet. Um, this org- this newspaper and its leaders wouldn't have, just, you know, may not have uh, decided back then that the money was there, but it is there now. And, and other companies are doing this too. Um, we're not unique. Vox Media mm-hmm. is doing this too. They're investing more in their videos than other video organizations. Content, yeah. Nick and Chris, you both do social media. You have me on a live video chat right now. Um, <laughs> right. I, I think all of that speaks to itself. On top of the Rubio thing though, the next day after the debate, getting name dropped twice by Jeb and Rubio, we were we had uh, our footage was also on CNN. They picked up the Fort Lauderdale Airport uh, plane fire, and that was a wild ride. There hadn't there hasn't been a news day like that in a while. And I think even some of the veterans I was around in the newsroom that day were saying the same thing that it was just completely <laughs> insane. And those are very uh, those are just very recent examples of our overall um, evolution into video and how it has not only given me an opportunity, but also benefited the whole organization overall. And I, you know, I speak as somebody who's only been there for a short while, but anybody else there can tell you that they've been doing video for for a lot longer than I've been there. And that um, I'm just really grateful that things are working out with the Hulu channel that has launched and um, the shows that we do and, and all the breaking news coverage that we do, because it's, it's kind of the best of both worlds for, for a videographer like me, but some videographers like to do commercial events. Some videographers like weddings. Um, those are very, some of them can be very personal, uh, things and ways to make your money. I like journalism. It's, it's, it's similarly personal. Um, and it requires empathy and, and it keeps you on your toes. It's a different story every day. It's always something new, which I think, um, people, I, I, as a person crave that novelty because I'm just such a curious person. And so it's, it's almost like the perfect line of work. And I just stumbled into it. I, wa- I was heartbroken after high school, decided to walk up the stairs into the college newsroom and, pr- and say, I'm going to write my way out of this. And now I'm doing video for a top 50 newspaper. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm really grateful for it. I, I'm saying the same things over and over again because I mean them. Yeah, we, yeah it, it's definitely telling. And to, to speak to some of the, the stories you brought up, for those who aren't familiar, the Sun Sentinel has made news recently. There was a plane who caught that caught fire at the airport of Fort Lauderdale that made national news. And then the editorial board, who those who don't, who might not follow politics, and Dylan, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but they made a very strong um, stand against Marco Rubio and his, um, I guess, his lack of commitment to making the roll calls in his Senate seat. Right. Yeah. And that so that made national news, but. One of the stories that the Sun Sentinel covered, and I know you had some uh, some deep involvement with this, was the story out of Fort Lauderdale where the uh, a, a man was arrested for trying to feed the homeless, right? right. And now, what was your involvement with that? And can you kind of give everyone a, a background of what that situation was and then kind of give your perspective of the whole story of, of being involved with that? Yes, right. So last uh, October and November, because we are now at the one year anniversary of what have been called the banning laws, uh, the food, the food banning laws, food share, anti-food sharing laws, um, anti-food regulations. It, it really doesn't matter what you call them. They are laws that target publicly sharing food right. with the homeless um, without regulations, right. uh, proper regulations being followed. And some of those regulations were called ridiculous, out, uh, you know, outrageous by the activists who fed the homeless and had been doing so before the regulations for years. And it, it's not, it was not a new issue, but um, I'll get to my involvement. So just to give you background, this issue goes back to 2000, I think. Arnold Abbott, the chef down here who feeds the homeless uh, of Fort Lauderdale. 
And he, I think he won in court in 2000 that he had the right to do this. And so it's not a new battle. Um, and that's important for people who are, you know, just um, tuning in. Or the casual it's, observer it's, like me, I had no idea. Right. And, and, and that's what's so interesting is that why 15 years later with, or 14 years later in November of 14 about was when the enforcement started and really my, my involvement began um, with food, not bombs and with Arnold Abbott and the people who feed Fort Lauderdale's homeless um, on a weekly basis. Um, these groups decided that they were going to start protesting the, these food sharing regulations. They weren't going to abide by them and they kept doing it, kept getting cited. Um, a few headlines that were viral at first uh, said that the, um, Arnold Abbott, the 90-year-old World War II vet who feeds the homeless and is a chef, um, was arrested. Uh, I think that later turned out to be just citations. Oh. Um, but, you know, when I first started, the first food sharing I went to, I got video of Fort Lauderdale police officers handcuffing, you know, food not bombs activists for feeding the homeless. And so, and then Mayor Seiler in the city of Fort Lauderdale started tweeting that they weren't doing it. And so I put up the video saying, yes, you are. Stop lying about it. Um, and things just kept building um, for me after I got involved. The, 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 but the situation had already been there uh, long before I got there. And I just started covering it because um, I guess people I knew were, were posting about it. And I said, hey, you know, what is this? Why didn't I know about it before? Um, it's not the first time I've been involved with homeless activism, but um, it was it, it just it started last November. It, it, and then it, it, it spiraled and spiraled and spiraled and and it gained international media attention. It went, you know, thanks to social media, what you guys do every day. Um, and that was, that, that might be the most fun I've had so far reporting was just being out on the street at Stranahan Park. And I, I wasn't at the Sentinel yet. I would say a lot of the work I was doing there, I was posting on Twitter and Instagram every single day, video, um, nonstop coverage of who these homeless people were, why they were hungry, what organizations were feeding them, and why the organizations were against the, the food sharing laws. Um, a lot of that 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 shoe leather, um, old school reporting, just taking the camera out to city hall and figuring and, and talking to the people who are in front of it, that was the most fun. And I do miss that a little bit. But I'm also working on some very interesting things right now um, that I, I really can't wait to unleash. Um, Right. mainly a documentary but i i don't want to say yes. much more than that yes. um it, it's it's coming very very soon like those types <laughs> of um, yeah so those types of videos where you have um, a lot of time to plan it out like a documentary for instance you have a lot of lead time uh, how are those compared to or how how is the production of those compared to the breaking news stories and like what do you do more of and what do you like doing more like the the of Fort Lauderdale fire at the at the airport, that's a good example of a breaking news story where you really had to get there as quick as possible in order for it to be uh, captivating and to get the right footage. Do you have to, do you have to get there anymore though? Oh, I see where you're going with that. See a lot, see, and that's that, when it comes to the video and the push. There are so many people. There were right. so many people. You could go and look it up on Twitter yourself with Hoot uh, Hootsuite, TweetDeck, Periscope. Tool you use. There are thousands of tools yeah. out there. Here's yeah, Periscope, you know, and there's thousands of tools, hundreds of people just tweeting and, and, and Instagramming on a live on a breaking news event. And most of the time when you get to the page, there's already organizations commenting on it saying, hey, uh, this is yeah. uh, ABC from CNN. Can I uh, uh, do you mind if we use this with no. credit? And then you just see the little courtesy tag up top and it moves much faster than you can imagine. And so a lot of the times, yeah, the question for the assignment editor is. Uh, how quickly can we get there? Who are we sending? Why are we sending them? What are they going to try to get footage of? But, you know, before that question comes, what are we pulling from the internet? And um, do we have permission to mm -hmm. use it? And I think if you look carefully, there's a find, there's a dividing line in media organizations that will just, you know, vaguely credit Twitter or Facebook because they are on, you know, strict deadlines. Um, I, I, I should be careful about how I phrase it. But um, you can tell who's asking for permission and who's not in this landscape. And it moves so fast that a lot of the times these organizations um, want the visuals because they know that it's going to pull more people, more clicks, more wow. views, and they aren't always getting permission. Um, I don't think that's that's not happening at the Sun Sentinel. Every single assignment we do, every breaking news video we do, we're asking who is this from? Do we have permission to use it? Um, otherwise, we're really almost not interested. Um, and until we can get permission but with the breaking news events you know and you guys are both you both do social media so you might be interested in this a lot of the times 
they are my bosses, the people who really run the organization and who have the titles that, you know, get things done. Um, that mean that they get, they're the ones who get things done, um, are leaving it up to us, the, the millennials, uh, to, to social, to strategize how we're going to break this event. Um, there, there are suggestions here and there, uh, from them. And we, of course we follow them and, and they're good, but you know, a lot of the time they also, and that's one of the things that I can respect most about the leadership of the place I work is that they leave it in our hands. They trust us. Um, they, they say, you know, would you, what's what, like, they ask us, what, what do you think it's going to be? Is the Facebook video going to get people to the story faster? Right. Um, is the Facebook video more important than the video on top of the story? And, and um, that's, that's important. Um, yeah. Because in, in this landscape, in, in what I've observed is that the technology is changing so fast. People our age, even um, in a few years are going to be, um, you know, let, if we're not careful, left behind. You have to be mm-hmm. relentless. Um, you have to adapt constantly, and you have to be willing to listen to um, the youngest voice in the room that has just spent the most time around the the emerging technologies. And they 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 truly do um, understand that, and I appreciate that. And it's me and a few other twenty somethings who you know I'm cutting the video. They're preparing the copy for the post. Um, the reporters, the vets, the ones who are, are, you know, giving us the meat of the story are out there. They're calling us, they're texting us, they're shooting us photos, giving us video. Um, and, and then, then the bosses are saying, well, what do you guys think? How should this, how, how, how can this story be told? And it's, it's, it's a really democratic process that, that I think millennials play a key role in, um, for us and and you know that day for the for the fire for example i i said let me shoot something out on facebook real quick and that was we had one video from from a woman from boca esther summers she gave us we saw her video first and said let's get that out and then seconds later we're tweeting about uh we're tweeting video from this shutterbug uh who shoots airports a lot his name was andy cripps cnn had the same exact footage from andy cripps he had a nice camera and he just happened to be there he sent it to us on google drive we got it up immediately with some more text on top of it and a caption for Facebook, a link to the uh, to the story, um, and and from there it just it ends up on CNN and it, it's it's really um, I don't want to say I don't want to say that we really have a, too much of a hand in it because a lot of the time it's what's happening. Right. Um, a plane on fire at an airport is much more newsworthy to CNN than so much of our local coverage right. Um, right. that I really cherish. And that I love to do. Um, there's a lot of local. We, there's a lot of. There's a real focus on on hyper local stories yeah. at this paper, <laughs> and um, I think it's one of the things that helps us stand out. And it's it's something that would get missed by people who only know about us from the debate, from the plane fire coverage, um, and and you know from the originals even because not everything like it's it's almost like an iceberg, right? You get the ten percent on the originals and and the breaking news stories that make CNN, and you're missing so much more unless you really go through the site and see um how much is there um but yeah and i don't know how i got there from you asking me about what the what a day is like at the breaking news but you know it goes with a breaking news video it's it's 30 seconds 20 20 seconds is our sweet spot for facebook we've we've done the analytics we've looked at the analytics we decided people want to spend 20 seconds looking at a video on facebook not too much more for us when we do the breaking news um it's you know, there's comp, there's organizations like Al Jazeera. A, they're really AJ Plus. Everybody thinks they're AJ Plus um, because they've been rebranded, and it's hard to tell. That's Al Jazeera yeah. America, and it's just genius marketing. I mean, everybody is following them right now. I think um, in terms of social media strategy, and you know, I, I I'll admit a lot of us are just imitating that. And now this news, um, and it's working. Yeah. And um, you know, if you wanted to ask us about what the day is like you get a 30 second video out on facebook for that you do the one minute voiceover voiceover a voiceover with sound on tape you get an interview from a public information that day we had to get an interview from mike ja- uh, jackals the public information officer for broward fire rescue we had um four reporters out at that you know linda trashita wayne rooston um rebecca picardo we had three videographers um and or four videographers it was that and and they're all sending me everything I need to put together the package in the studio. Um, 
it goes online, it get you know, it gets the views and the clicks. And um, that's, that's for the breaking news. But like I said before, and I was previewing, there's, there's these big long form projects that we work on as well. And um, those would get missed, I think, if people only paid attention to the breaking news. And the, the, the workflow for those is so different. Um, and I, just like at the UP, I did the 10 month investigation on campus rape. Um, you, it really, it's interesting to go from dailies, what are called dailies, the breaking news videos, the, the cops stories, the, the beat stories, and then also just the viral stories like the plane fire. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting and, and it keeps your work interesting to switch from that to enterprise work, right. which is over a longer period of time, you go much more in depth and, um, it's, it's honestly a lot more fun, uh, in some ways, um, not better, just different. It's just a lot of, it's a different kind of fun. That's what I wanted to, that's kind of what I wanted to ask you about because in this, it's, you know, the quote unquote 24 hour news cycle, there's a lot of noise, right? And especially well, I think one of the caveats of the internet for all the great things it provides and all the different tools it provides that you mentioned, I think one of the, the caveats to that is clickbait where you see uh, you know, a publication, whether it's news or a, some other form of content, they're putting headlines up just to get your attention when their content is shit. So how, how do you approach that in trying to navigate that to get someone's attention so they're not, uh, I guess, distracted by the noise? Well, okay, let me ask you, let me get a clearer picture of what you consider shit. So what is the clickbait? Like, like, give me a concrete example of like something that is bullshit. You shouldn't have clicked on it. You regret it when you see like it. one of the, like a headline that'll be like, like the most amazing thing you'll read all week. Right. Like up where they used to do this. The most amazing thing you read all week. And then you click with, through and it's just not that amazing. Won't believe it right. until you, you click. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, I think, I don't know if you if it's if it's oversimplifying it to call it a fad. I think that was a fad. I think okay, that's good. Up, right? I think. I mean, the thing is though, it's it's not going away, right? right. I mean, a fad would go away. Buzzfeed is as a whole organization. They're still, I think, they're still making money. Um, they're still hiring people. They still have job openings. Upworthy as well was, I think, one of the, a couple of years ago, just the fastest growing media company. Um, so it's not that that if it's a fad or it isn't, whatever it is, it's not that that doesn't work. Um, it's, it's, but I don't know that you see enough or too much of that at the Sun Sentinel. And I think our editor has very specifically, you know, there's, um, stories that, you know, go viral that you have to keep an eye out for because, sure. um, and I think print, I will say this because I don't want to get specific, but, um, I think in general print organizations are imbued with just a stronger focus on the ethics, the integrity of what you're, you're reporting and the standards, yeah. the ethical standards that you have to provide by. That's, um, that's one of the reasons why you don't see enough or too much clickbait mm -hmm. on, on um, print organizations, websites in general. But for the Sun Sentinel, I think our editor, very specifically Howard Saltz, is like a very specific and keen focus on just not promoting the things on the internet that are just not true or blatantly um, misleading you know yeah. misleading or you know yeah worth disregarding yeah misleading is, is the best word yeah. for it misleading yeah. is the best word for it and a lot of organizations you can there's whole articles waiting to be written um about the amount of stories that media organizations national media organizations that are considered reputable will repost and get wrong um everybody's included in that and uh you can't help it because at the end of the day, you want the clicks. That's that's where things are going. And one of the most interesting things about you know us discussing this is that you know the media companies now are staring at a generation that is downloading ad blocker right um, plus as quickly as it can. And one and you know I'm 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 young enough that I'm scratching my head wondering shit. You know what are we gonna do? <laughs> Older people who who have been in this industry longer. Um, are the ones that I've met and the ones that I work with are tough as nails about it. Um, they, they, they will adapt and, and they will survive. I, I, that's just the sense that I've gotten. Um, and you, and I think there's a, a line to be drawn between with that point and the point that this organization is now emphasizing video and doing more with video than it did before. Um, and that it is paying off. Right. I think it is working. Um, I think the biggest win 
plenty of room for improvement, though, and that we're not where we are. Um, I think the biggest, and, and that's great. I think the biggest win with video it wins the attention graph. Mm -hmm. You know, when it's when it's distributed right. You know, if it's using Facebook at the with the right amount of length, that yeah. grabs people's attention, and that's what I think video does so well. And I, I think you make a great point. The ones who adapt will survive, and it seems like from what we're hearing, the Sun Sentinel is doing. And I, and just from being a, a casual reader and a casual observer, mm -hmm. it seems like they do very well at adapting when they need to. So, so Dylan, so basically, um, Facebook Video has really been changing based on the behavior of of users. For instance, I've noticed in the last few months, um, Facebook videos have a lot more text on them. And it seems like people don't really like to click on the video and listen to it because they might be in a place where they can't um, listen to the video. So it sounds like um, a lot of video producers are, are catching on to that and they're creating video with text over top. Has that been something you've noticed? Yes. And is that something yes. Sun Sentinel is yes. um, working on? Or you know, And there's a couple things to it. We're all copycats, I think. We're all looking at Vocative. We're looking at Vox. We're looking at AJ or Al Jazeera. We're seeing what's working for them. Um, me, especially I'm, as, as a videographer, I'm looking at what works for other organizations that get hundreds of thousands of people to um, tune in and to watch and click the video. And that's what works is the text. And there's other reasons why you should do it anyway, um, which is, you know, what about your um, deaf mm. you know, uh, readers, viewers, audience, whoever they are? What about them? Uh, you don't want to leave them out. Um, or just other people who just don't want to listen. Like you said, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to listen. They're, they're at a place where they can't listen. People who can't hear, I mean, um, and they don't want to. And I think one of the things that I was thinking about this the other day, one of the things that's so interesting about this to me, this development in social marketing and in video is, is it's kind of a regression to what video, to what film <laughs> was originally. It was originally silent with words. Oh, right. And I look at this and I think this is exact. We're, we're, we're going right back to that and it's working. Um, and it's just a simpler way to True. convey a message through the same medium. And it's what it once was and always will be, I think is what we're seeing. And um, I, I have to say this, I, I, I you know, I, I'm really grateful you guys invited me on the show, but I am not an expert at this by any means. I am making it up as I go along and it's working. Um, I think, and uh, you know, the, the organizations that you could, that I pointed to earlier are really the ones who um, are leading the way in this. And you could say we are too. Uh, we get written about in Pointer, but um, it, there there is always going to be someone better than you. And I think those people are also worth paying attention to um, because that's where I get a lot of my ideas. Um, and and you know, I'm not sure if that answers your question about oh, yeah. social video marketing, but it really. It is interesting to see this development um, and to see things kind of go backwards. That's that's an awesome point. Yeah, I didn't even, didn't even think of that, but it makes perfect sense. Seeing that you cover a wide range of topics, what are your what are your favorite stories? What like what type of stories do you love to cover? You know, you ask my favorite stories. I, I, it's hard to say what a favorite is and to categorize it. I, I think I am. First and foremost, a news junkie. I've, I've learned that much about myself through doing this work every day. Um, and I think hard news, you know, crime, crime reporting, municipal reporting, but human interest above all. It's, and it's in all of those different beats or categories for the kinds of reporting that you can do. Um, and with video especially, um, you know, there are so many, there is no shortage to talk about. And I think a journalism organization should focus um, on that. And I think we are squarely focused on that. And I'm excited uh, to, um, you know, just kind of unveil what the kind of problems that we, we are interested in talking about um, with the projects that we're working on. But uh, it's, it's really hard to pinpoint exactly what kind of stories I like. At the end of the day, I, I don't want to say at the end of the day, but you know, it's, 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 it's people, um, you know, just telling us what their problems are. Um, and, and, and that comes in all shapes and sizes, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's not the answer you want. And I, I just, um, 
no. it's it's really hard to pinpoint. It. I I like it all. I really do like it all. There's there's you know we do rod with a twist where every week we're we're shooting somebody learning we're we're making a drink we're learning how to make it we're talking to somebody famous about what their latest work is um and and I'm cutting that and then you know it's 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 next it's next up is X's and Omar Florid duh. Um, where where we just run down all the latest you know Florida man stories and Florida dog stories that um, have really given Florida. I wanted to I wanted to ask you about this. I really did because I'm you know I'm from New England and when I when I go home, people always ask me either one or two things: how's the weather, or they ask me about did you hear about this crazy story that we heard about in Florida. <laughs> And it's it's like unavoidable because Florida is such right. a cool place. But if something crazy can happen, it'll without happen. a doubt, it'll happen in Florida, right? Right, right. It's nuts. Right, we made a we made a whole show out of it, um, Florida, and I, it's one of my favorite originals that I work on, um, and one of the funniest too. One of the funniest, really, because of all of the stories that that do come out of Florida. Yeah. And, and all parts, it's not exclusive to South Florida. It's not exclusive to Central Florida. Florida is, is everywhere you go in this state, um, in this great state of ours. It's, it's, it's all over. Um, and there is just no shortage of material for that show. I, I, um, I would imagine. I that. <laughs> so what advice would you have for a millennial who's interested in getting into video journalism? looking at what you've done starting with the university press at FAU and what you do now and taking into account how quickly the industry is changing and evolving. Like, what do you recommend? What tips would you give to someone who wants to get into this field? Get to work, <laughs> uh, get to work. Like, um, there's just no other way to put it. I, 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 I was, I was totally, um, you know, ready to, to, Change the world when I got right into college. On the first day, I, I was walking around. I was I went to class, and then I just started walking around campus, saying, "What am I going to do with myself? I got to find something to do with right. myself." Um, just start asking yourself what you want to do. Find the ways to do it. Just keep asking yourself questions and ask others too. Um, that's that's the extent of my advice. It's what I do for a living. I just ask questions, and it's the most fun you can have because you're just always learning. Um, and 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 moving forward um you know because it's not like it's just been a straight you know ride up right there have been setbacks and you just got to keep going you just you just keep um going yeah um teal nick yeah you, you know he's the first outside investor into facebook oh was he yeah wow. he there was a three-member board it was him zuckerberg and somebody else and youtube offered them a billion and Teal and the other founder, now Teal had already sold to Yahoo himself. Right. You know, he sold PayPal to Yahoo. Oh, no, I'm sorry, eBay. Pardon eBay. me. Right, right, eBay. Um, so, yeah, he had already been a founder and sold a company. Mm -hmm. So he's very comfortable with that process, right? So him and the other board member were like, oh, this sounds like a pretty considerable offer. <laughs> so they, they go to have the board meeting, right? And Zuckerberg walks in, he goes, all right, guys, I just see this as a formality. We don't have to take very long here. We're obviously going to say no. And Teal found it like, we should talk about this. This is a like Zuckerberg, like he was going to walk away with like $250 million, right? And he goes, yeah, but I don't I don't even know what I would do with that money. I would probably just start another social uh, social uh, network. So <laughs> like that's, that's what all he wanted to do. But Teal put $500,000 into that company. Wow has made him since a billion oh i bet yeah wow billion he's made well 950 million oh <laughs> nuts right no, no 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 i'm sorry i'm sorry, I'm sorry. 999 and five hundred thousand dollars on top of all the paypal and he made like a billion from paypal I don't think he. They sold it for a like a billion or two. He probably walked away with like, um, maybe two hundred, two hundred fifty. But you know, like PayPal is where all these companies came from. Mm -hmm. The PayPal mafia. Yeah, SpaceX. Yelp, LinkedIn. Yelp. I didn't know Yelp was connected to. Yeah. Them. 
Yelp, uh, YouTube. Oh, right, right. Founds is a YouTube left PayPal um, or, or came from PayPal. Um, I want to say, I want to say, what was that? Square? Not oh, square. yeah. Well, Not square. yeah, you're right. Was it um, Jack Dorsey? No, Foursquare. Foursquare, I think, came from, hmm. uh, from, I might be wrong about them. There's, a, there's another one I'm, I can't think of. Do you listen? What what podcasts are you listening to? Uh, mostly marketing ones like Marketing Over Coffee and the Inbound Podcast Network and just a whole bunch of boring, you know, John Gary, Rumble, Gary V a little bit, but I've been, you know, mostly focusing more on like the marketing ones. I'm starting, uh, I'm trying, I'm doing a, a marketing podcast just on, just on my own. Um, yeah. Just for inbound marketing. Yeah. Good for you. It's called Inbound Unboxed. Nice. Um, I like it. Yeah. Figured, you know, <laughs> the world needs another inbound marketing podcast. There you go. You should do a sports one. I'm telling you. Yeah, but it's so competitive. There's there there's a podcast that does just the AFC East, which is the division the Patriots are in, and I want to call into their show one day. I think that'd be cool. <laughs> you should do like a something about like being a New Englander in Florida and how that affects like sports and the rivalry and yeah, you know. <laughs> I feel like that's like one episode. You know. You never know what path you're going to end up down. Like you said, I was a treasurer and an accounting major. Nick was a chief justice. And yet here we are on this new social platform talking <laughs> about media, you know? Seeing that we've covered a lot and where you're at now, um, obviously we can tell this is a, a field you have a lot of passion for. That's very obvious. But one of the things I was interested in, and considering how much we know technology will continue to change media, where do you see that going in the next five years? And then where do you see your place in all of that? I don't know that I could tell you. I don't know that if I gave you an answer right now, it would be the right answer because of how quickly things are changing um, in media and technology. And um, I work at the intersection of them. I have to evolve and adapt uh, as relentlessly as the entire organization I work for. Um, and and as every, you know, everybody is... is just i feel keeping up um on my end of things on this end of the media we are keeping up with uh what's ha- it's 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 reactionary um a lot of the time and and we it's it's not easy you know to to relentlessly adapt every new technology and and and, and add it to, add an, another platform to your workflow um to 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 get jargony um and and it's I think even the best, you can look at what the best companies are doing, like the New York Times, you can see the moving video uh, in their right. HTML stories, and it's just inspiring and beautiful. Um, and, I, and I would still say, I think they're figuring it out too. Yeah. I think all of us yeah. are still figuring it out. And yeah. when you say, you know, what my role is, in it, it's to just keep trying to figure it <laughs> out. Um, I don't know exactly where it's going to go and and i like that uncertainty it's why i do what i do it's why i work the way i work um i kind of thrive on it it's a little discomforting and you have to be ready for anything and it's it's part of what i love so much about the work i do but you know i think that's my role in it is to just figure out where things are going and um adapt yeah and 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 keep moving so so like one thing Um, that uh as a as a marketing consultant one thing that i hear a lot about that is people are asking about Snapchat in particular and where does it fit into a marketing strategy? Is it still just for kids? You know, the same stuff people were saying about Facebook three years ago. Oh, I don't need to be on Facebook. That's not serious, blah, blah, blah. And now it's like, you need to be on Facebook if you're a serious business. So where where does Sun Sentinel see Snapchat in particular? Where do you see Snapchat fitting into video journalism? It's so interesting that you're asking me about this because I brought up Snapchat in a meeting the other day and, and, you know, they were open. The people I work with are open because like I said earlier, um, the social strategizing is largely um, entrusted to the youngest people in the room while it's being, you know, shaped and molded um, in a general sense by, you know, the more seasoned people in the room. And I think when it, when Snapchat came up, 
it was welcomed. But there there are still some questions about Snapchat for how media organizations can fit into it, the ones that aren't already in the Discover right. stream. I use Snapchat on a personal basis, and I say, you know, how can I communicate um, something to who I'm sending the snap to that can, could not be communicated mm -hmm. through words? Uh, so one, you know, that's the first, that's the first why for me with Snapchat as a personal user. Um, and then the second one is, is, and I think this is interesting because I think other people also kind of see Snapchat through this lens is that Snapchat's not Facebook. Mm -hmm. Snapchat is not Facebook. Instagram is Facebook. <laughs> um, and Instagram and Facebook kind of go hand in hand. They're, they're kind of like this. It works. Um, Literally like this. And because they own. one owns the other. Yeah. One owns right. the other. And, you know. Snapchat's different in that respect. They didn't want to be bought. They don't. They aren't going to be bought. Um, they had their issues, kind of, in what they claimed they could do and what that app actually does yeah. do. Um, and I think now that they're kind of past that, people, media organizations are looking at it, me included. Um, and I think there's still some questions about it. Of course, just like all the emerging technologies, and you, you know, my place in it. Figure it mm -hmm. out. And and with Snapchat, that it's no different. Um, I, I kind of figured out at least how to send somebody a snap and what it what it means, why I do it, and how it's different from all the other forms uh, or platforms that we have for social media. Um, and I think you know there are really interesting things being done on Snapchat by other organizations that are worth noting. I think I think it was CNN. It may have been just somebody else, but I believe it was CNN that on their Snapchat they had an artist go and do something of a gallery of disappearing uh, work or a scientist. Sounds so they're like yeah. Wow. An architect or, or an or a Nat Geo, somebody, somebody that was sent by CNN to, um, you know, send snaps about a disappearing thing. And I don't know if it was art or if it was ruins like science, um, but they did it through snaps specifically because the medium itself was temporary. Mm -hmm. And that is unlike everything else that we put out on, you know, in our on in social media apps in general, mm -hmm. um, that's one thing that also sets it apart. Instagram is there until you delete it. Tweets are there until you delete it. Facebook posts are there until you delete them. Um, and even then, they're and not really good. Yeah. <laughs> but um, with snaps, people kind of covet that privacy. Mm -hmm. And at least, even though it's not really there anymore, um, you know, they've kind of just accepted it, and they're still using it. And media organizations are, I think. Um, and I hope going to be no different. I see it already. The New York Times does already have reporters on their Snapchat. Um, you know, I, what do you guys think of it? Because if you see what's already being put out there, do you like it? Is it quality content? Does it engage you in a way that the other platforms just couldn't? Well, I think I, I look at Snapchat as really like people think the, like the, the accepted norm of what snapchat is is a lot of people think oh this is going to replace mtv <laughs> and i think it's much more than that i think it replaces. i think it not replaces because there's economically no um but i think ultimately this is where young people spend their time so it's not just mtv this is cable for 13 year old kids when they get out of school they go directly to snapchat you know, mm -hmm. they will literally go home, spend, you know, they might get home from, say, practice or whatever after after school activity they might have, and they go right home and they spend three, four, five hours on Snapchat. They're not on TV. They're not on Facebook. They're not on Twitter. They're on Snapchat. So they own the attention graph of that demographic, and that's really um, where I see that going. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, I totally agree with you. But, you know, also – if you look at how businesses are using Snapchat or media companies are using Snapchat, CNN in particular, all the all the Discover channels, it's very highly edited. Uh, and I think there's a high barrier to entry for a smaller newspaper, for instance, or for an individual business to jump in. Because, I mean, a lot of that stuff, it looks like you need to be a you need to have a, a video editor. You need to have a graphic designer every single day if you want to be current. Yeah. and produce that kind of content. I mean, I don't know how CNN is investing that much. I mean, obviously they have the means to do it, but like the quality of these discover stories and these, and these snaps is just over the top. And it's almost like not what you expect when you originally hear, you know, Snapchat, it's supposed to be your real life and you don't have to be as perfect as you would be on Instagram. And you don't have to like make it look all fancy, just be you. 
but yet you see these these brands putting all these these resources into the the production of these stories and it's sort of a interesting uh, situation you have there yeah but to that point i think i think you'll start to see a lot of these brands uh like comedy central already does it they'll put snippets of 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 south park right in snapchat mm -hmm. so again they're they're owning the attention they don't have, like young kids who spend hours on snapchat they don't have to go to cable anymore. They can go right to the app, and it's there. So I just think they're they're gonna win there. So you know, who knows what's gonna happen? But you know, out of all the networks out there, the two I'm probably most or the three I'm probably most bullish on. Facebook won because of the team they have in place. Mm -hmm. They have the, probably the best executive team in, in in all the social networks. In Instagram, um, not just because they're owned by Facebook, because they too own the attention graph. That's where oh, people's yeah. eyeballs are. And while people are actually in the app, they're paying attention. Unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, when people are scrolling and not even paying attention right. that much. Instagram actually owns attention. Snapchat probably out of all the networks does attention the best. And that's why I think they have a lot of staying power. Good point. Yeah. That's just how I see it. What the heck do I know? <laughs> Hey, thank you guys. It's nice to catch awesome. up and see you both. Absolutely. <laughs> and we'll uh, we'll uh, be sure to subscribe to your Hulu channel and check out what you got going on there. What um what can our listeners um where can they find you? What can you plug? You, you know, where are you on Twitter? What's the best way to get in touch with you? What's the best way to follow your work? Twitter and Instagram, Dylan Bauscher. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, Dylan Bauscher. Um, Sun Sentinel Originals on Hulu. Um, that's mostly me and, 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 and I'll, and it's not, it's not just me. It's, it's, it's a group of really talented people that, uh, that I work with reporters, videographers, editors, um, hulu.com slash originals. I highly recommend you check that out most, uh, if you take anything away from this, um, because I think, you know, that group of really talented people that I was describing is, mm -hmm. is doing, uh, some incredible things, uh, on that channel and things that, you know, other media organizations, you know, aren't doing, and and like you said, we're figuring it out, and 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 um, yeah, it's um, I like I like the phrase um, everything is figure outable, mm -hmm. and I think that really can kind of summarize what we discussed today. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. All right, sir. Well, Thank have you. a good one. Thank you again for joining. Yeah. Us. All right. And that'll do it for us. For episode eight of the Millennial Grind podcast. We have no idea what we're going to talk about in episode nine, but we will surely keep you posted. And we hope everything to talk is to figure outable. <laughs> <laughs>